Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Excellent, excellent, excellent. Glad to have you with us today. If you are a guest with us, welcome to you. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's great to have you with us worshiping today. If you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. The best, easiest way you can do that is to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT. We'll send you a link, tap on that, answer a couple of quick questions, send it back to us just so we can know who you are, how we can pray for you. Uh, we would love to do that for you this week. Now for everyone else, we've got our big three announcements as we start our time here this week. Here are our big three announcements we want everyone to know. Number one is this, Deacon Nominations. We're beginning that this month, starting next week. We'll give you information as to how to nominate men to serve in that role. We encourage you to take this one last week to be in prayer about that. Looking over scriptures like Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3, asking the Lord who potentially could be serving in that capacity. So uh, be in prayer about that this week. Second of all, this coming Sunday, August 15th, we're going to have a baptism service. Uh, if you are interested in baptism, text BAPTISM to our number, 910-424-1298. If you're interested in taking part in baptism this coming Sunday, we'd love to sit down with you this week and talk through that with you. And then... Promotion Sunday. Uh, this is for our kids. As the school year cranks up, our kids will be moving up uh, to the next classes here we have at Southview. That's going to be on August 22nd. Sunday, August 22nd, all kids are going to move up. And then on Wednesday, August 25th, our Wednesday evening kids' activities will crank back up and they'll move to the next grade for that as well. So that's Sunday, August 22nd, and Wednesday, August 25th. All kids move up. And with that, um, for our teenagers, for if you have a rising sixth grader going into youth ministry, uh, on August 20th, Friday from 6 to 7, there's going to be a time for you to come. Bring your kid with you. Come here. Hang out at the church. Uh, Pastor Ryan's going to be here. Uh, the the Rising 6th graders are going to be able to hang out together, get to know one another. You'll be able to have a Q&A with Pastor Ryan, get to know a little bit about the youth ministry and what to expect coming up. So that is Friday, August 20th for parents of all rising 6th graders. And for any other announcements that we have, you can download our app, Southview Baptist Church app, iTunes or Google Play. Just download that. You'll be able to follow along and do everything there. Sign up for things, get announcements, find a journey group, give online. We have two ways for you to give. You can either give online through the app or you can give at our giving boxes as you leave the, uh, the sanctuary. Uh, whichever works best for you, but you can give online as well. So download our app so you can stay connected there with everything that's going on. As we begin our time today worshiping, I want to read a scripture to you. It's found in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 33. So, in the book of Jeremiah, you have a couple of nuggets being dropped about life in Christ, what that's going to be when the Messiah comes, and that obviously being Jesus and fulfilling that. Listen to the way God describes how following him is going to work for you as a follower of Christ, all right? Jeremiah 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant, the new covenant in Christ, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel... And for all of us who believe in Christ as well, after those days, declares the Lord. Listen to the way he describes you and God. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, 
and they shall be my people. So many of us struggle with the Christian life because we, we, we view obeying God as these external rules that we have to obey, right? We have these lists of rules on the wall, and we try our best to obey them. If we obey them, we're doing great. If we disobey them, we're doing bad. And that's kind of how we, we track how we're doing with God. And God views your walk with him drastically different than that. He said, no, 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 no. No longer is it a bunch of rules out here that I'm asking you to read and memorize and follow. Now I'm taking that law and I'm supernaturally writing it on your hearts. And now I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. Here's the difference. Here's what that means. Following Christ is no longer about you trying your best to externally get it right. Being a follower of Christ means you believe by faith that God has made you new. He has taken out what is old and dirty, and he has put in something brand new. He has written his law on your heart. So now it's not about God, help me to obey, help me to obey. I need to, I need to obey, I need to obey, I need to obey. Now it's, God, you have already done this in me. You have filled me with your spirit. You have written your law on my heart. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, as I submit myself to you, empower me to walk in your ways. The difference is night and day. The difference, that's the difference between you being frustrated at this whole Christianity thing and you finding true joy in it. For a long time, I'd be in worship services and everyone around me would be raising their hands singing. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I remember being in college. I was in a worship service in college. I was a Christian, but I was still living under kind of old, these are the rules, try to obey the rule kind of form of Christianity. And in doing that, what, what happened was, I didn't really get the whole I enjoy being a Christian thing. I don't know if I can say that out loud. So I'm sitting in a worship service on a college campus. All these people are raising their hands and woohoo! And I remember sitting there, honestly, I remember looking around thinking, why are they so happy? Like, obeying is hard, and I don't get a lot of joy out of this, and I don't understand why they're so excited about obeying the rules. And God began to take me through a process of teaching me, no, 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 I, I'm believing a false understanding of Christianity. True faith in Christ is he has written his law in my heart. He has made me brand new, and that is something to rejoice about. It's no longer about me trying to obey so that I can be good. It's about God making me righteous through faith in him. And so now I get to just trust him to work out that goodness in me. I get to just trust him, and it changes everything. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And I'm praying today for some in this room, that light bulb's going to go off in your mind. I pray, God, for those in this room, they're still viewing Christianity as the rules out there to obey. And if they do it, then they'll be good. And if they don't, then they're bad. I pray, God, that you would bring that lie to an end today. And that today they would see that through faith in Jesus, they are already made good. They don't have to try to obey the law. God has already supernaturally placed it on their hearts. They are righteous, not because they live righteous, but because Jesus has made them righteous. They are good, not because they always live good, but because God has made them good through faith in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower us today to now see that. And as we see that, now we're empowered to live that out. Now we're empowered to live more righteously and live more good. So I pray, God, that you would empower us today to do this for your glory. Set us free from false religion. Empower us by true faith in Jesus Christ.
so that we can live out by faith in Christ what it really means to be a lover of God. Do this in us today for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together. Good morning, church. Let's sing and celebrate together these truths. A weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. No, my God will never fail. We sing. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. Oh, the battle belongs to you, Lord. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will.
says the Lord is the true God I love that he is a living God and the everlasting king and the psalmist says with us I hope my soul longs just faints for the courts of the Lord my heart and flesh sing for the joy of the living God and Lord I pray nothing more than you would simply be honored that your name will be hallowed in this place that as we sing, as we pray, as we listen to the words spoken and preached, that we would make much of you and much of Christ. I pray for the saints to be encouraged, to be brought back together. I pray for those that don't know you to hear the gospel preached today and that they would respond to the call that you have placed on their hearts. They would say, yes, Lord, I want to serve you, the living God, the name above all names than any king, wider than any ocean, is Christ our Lord, the only name that saves. You are alive and you care for us. Lord, let us glorify you with our names in this place today, with our voices. Let us sing to you. Let us celebrate the living God, Jesus the Christ, in his name.
Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are never, ever, ever going to live us and let us go. That you're never going to stop holding us. That you're always going to just cling tight. And even when our grip is loosened, your grip just gets tighter. So I thank you, Jesus, for that. Encourage us today, Lord. I want to chat with you just for a second before we jump in we pray a little bit more. Um, I want to just kind of share something with you and, and bring you up to speed on something. So some of you uh, may know a gentleman uh, here in our church named Doug Heckler. Doug always kind of sat over here to the side. Even if you've never met Doug, you heard Doug because he was the loudest dude in the room. Um, so... I want to let you know that Doug uh, sadly passed away this past week. Um, and so I just want to kind of, we're, we're talking with his family about arrangements. And as soon as we figure that out, as far as any kind of service, we'll let you know. But Doug was, uh, boy, Doug was, <laughs> Doug was a great guy. He, um, such an amazing story. Doug uh, became severely addicted to drugs and alcohol somewhere around the age of 13. Uh, and... Uh, his life went the trajectory that you would imagine of someone living their entire life severely addicted to drugs and alcohol. What you could think, that's what it was. And uh, several years ago, some people in our church befriended Doug and just started ministering to him and encouraging him in the Lord, inviting him to church. He came. Um, and uh, about two years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to uh, lead Doug to the Lord and baptize him here. Um, but Doug was very honest about the struggles in his life. And I would love to tell you that Doug's story was that he got saved and miraculously like that, everything that ever struggled in his life fell off of him. But that would just be a lie. But the great thing about Doug, even though there were still continued to be struggles in his life, here's... here's really the fingerprints of God's power and grace in Doug's life. Even in the times where he struggled, he never, he never stopped trusting in the Lord to pull him back up again. It doesn't matter, I would get a text at some point in the middle of the night because Doug was in a bad way. And it never failed. I knew I was always going to see him on Sunday, though. And he was always going to come. He was always going to be here and say, man, I'm just trusting the Lord for the next. I'm just trusting the Lord. I'm just trusting the Lord. The reason I share that with you is because Doug's story, his testimony, is, I think, extremely important for many of us in this room. I need you to hear me. Um, you were told. Ask Jesus in your heart, and he's going to give you a better life. And it didn't work, and now you think Christianity is broken. And I want you to know that's not true. Sometimes people come to faith in the Lord. Like, I don't get how it works. The, John 3 says the Holy Spirit's like the wind. Like, he comes in when he wants to come in and does what he wants to do. And you don't figure that thing out. He just does it. And so, yeah, man, there are some stories where God just touches someone's life. And everything they ever struggled with just falls off of them. And they never desire anything ever again. And everything just changes. And typically those are the guys that write books. And then there's us. 
where that's not necessarily the story. Sometimes it's still a struggle. Proverbs 26, or excuse me, 24, 16 says, The righteous man falls seven times but then gets back up. I love that scripture because it does not say, I need you to hear me, it does not say the righteous man never falls. It says the righteous man falls seven times. In the Bible, seven is the term of completion, the number for completion. In other words, the righteous person falls down a lot. But what makes them righteous is not that they did not fall, but that when they fell, by the grace of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they get back up. And I want to encourage you this morning, through grace in Jesus Christ, through the empowerment of his life, through his Holy Spirit in you, through faith in him, I want to encourage you today, get back up. Let Doug's story be a story that encourages you to get back up. Whatever your situation is, again, it's not always nice and neat. I prayed this prayer, this miracle happened, boom, my life is forever different now. I love those stories. But it doesn't always happen that way. That's not always the way that God desires to do it. In fact, there's just one great story in the Gospels where a guy is blind, he comes to Jesus, and Jesus prays for him, right? And so, track the story. Jesus prays for this guy who's blind and says, what do you, what, okay, now what? And the guy's like, I can see, kind of, but everybody looks like trees. Which I don't really know what, I imagine just like giant arms, I don't know. But that's what he says, right? He's like, I kind of? Jesus said, okay, let me pray again. Praise again. Now what? And the guy's like, oh, now I can see. So a couple of interesting things with that. Number one, I think Jesus had to pray for a dude twice. Not because Jesus isn't God and couldn't just have said, see, and he saw. I think he's teaching us something here. Sometimes, Sometimes it's a process. Miraculous, an act of God just by his grace. But it doesn't happen like that every time. There are some marriages in this room that they were on the verge of either divorce or murder. And they went to a weekend retreat. And at that weekend retreat, God supernaturally dropped an atomic bomb on them. And they walked away radically different and have never been the same. But for every one of those stories, there are ten in this room where that's not what happened. You were in that spot, and how you walked out of it was daily dying to yourself, trusting by faith in Jesus. You looked up 10 years later and said, God's done a miracle in our marriage. It wasn't like that. It was a walk. And so I want to pray for us this morning for those of us who are in the middle of the process, the walk. Like Doug, God saved you. God has redeemed you. God has made you new. God has done remarkable things in your life, but there's still some things you're walking out. The righteous fall, but they get back up. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. I want to pray for us. Lord, I first, I I pray for Doug and his family. Doug's family. God, I pray for them as they are experiencing the loss. 
of their loved one, I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to them. I pray, God, for Doug's friends here in this church and outside of this church, God, that you would do the same, that you would minister to them. Holy Spirit, that you would um, comfort them in the way that only you can. And I pray, God, for us as a church, I pray, God, that you would raise up many more voices to fill the void that will be left by Doug. I pray, God, that you would lift the volume of men in this room so that they could sing with the same kind of fervor. God, I pray for us. I pray for those in this room that are kind of in that process. They have trusted by faith in you. They have given their life to you. But the truth is, they're still walking through some things. They still stumble. They still fall. They still have difficulties. They still have trials. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower them by your grace through faith in you, Jesus, to stand back up and trust in you. And as they're walking forward in this walk of faith, you're going to continue to grow them and mature them and develop them. And they're going to look back and they're going to say, wow, God's done a miracle in my life. In my life, in my marriage, in my family. The things that used to hold me don't hold me anymore. When did they fall off? I don't can't really point to a date necessarily. They're just not there anymore. God's just delivered me. I thank you for those stories, and I pray, God, that you would allow many more of those to happen here in this room today. Do this in us, God, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible... Let's find Acts 17 together, all right? I uh, appreciate Pastor Scott for uh, preaching last week for me. We were on a little vacation, enjoying some time away. It was nice. Good to be back, though. Um, good to be back with you. We're going to pick it back up where we were in Acts chapter 17. So let me give you a little bit of a head start what's going on. So the Apostle Paul has been sent out on mission. He's going around. He's preaching. He goes to a place called Thessalonica. You're going to have two books in your Bible called First and Second Thessalonians. That's the church that he's writing to, that he's uh, ministering to here in Acts 17, in uh, the city of Thessalonica. But it's interesting, in Thessalonica, things don't go well for Paul. They don't like him at all. And I love what they say about him. So Paul and his boys come in, they start preaching the gospel, people don't like it, and they stand up and go, These men who have turned the world upside down are here to turn our city upside down as well. Now, I can imagine Paul was sitting there thinking, that is the worst slam anyone's ever given me in my life. Like, that's exactly what I'm here to do, yes? And we just pray that God would bring more people that want to see the world flipped upside down. So, so Paul's preaching, things go really sideways in Thessalonica. They ha- he has to slip out under the cover of darkness. He goes then to a town called Berea. Things go a little bit better there in Berea. Uh, it's interesting what it says about the Berean people is they were more uh, um, uh, godly, more righteous, right? They're more desiring of the things of the Lord because they, they sought the scriptures diligently to find out if these things were true. Again, may God would raise up more Bereans as well, people that dive into God's word and say, okay, Lord, is this really true? Is this what you're saying? So he's ministering there in Berea. Things are going well, but the guys in Thessalonica hear that he's in Berea, so they go down to Berea to try to stir up trouble there as well. They do a pretty good job of that, so Paul has to now skip out of Berea so that he doesn't get killed. 
and he ends up in the city of Athens. All right? So as he lands in Athens, Athens is an interesting place. Athens is the academic athletic center of the world. Athens is the home of, uh, there was the home of people like Socrates and Plato. It was the original home of the Olympics, which we're, you know, in the midst of right now. Had some of the largest coliseums in the ancient world. So Athens was a major, major influential city in the world. Paul ends up there, and then Paul does exactly what you would expect Paul to do. He starts preaching. So pick it up in verse 16, all right? Acts 17, we're going to pick the story up in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, that's the rest of his team to join him in Athens, as Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. All right, stop just for a second. It has been said by historians that it was easier to find a temple in Athens than a man. Right? They're everywhere. Right? You think churches are on every uh, corner here. Right? Temples were everywhere. They were constant. And we'll see in just a few minutes as to how that worked and what that really meant. But when Paul saw this, he was deeply stirred up in his spirit because of it. Like it bothered him deeply. And we'll talk in a few minutes as to why that's a big deal. Verse 17. So... He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who, had, uh, who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So it mentions two groups of people, the Epicureans and the Stoics. So Epicureans, they were people who believed the purpose of life was just pleasure and living in freedom from pain, from passion, from fear. Just, just get rid of all of anything that would um, um, force itself onto you and just live in uh, pleasure, right? That's the Epicureans. Then the Stoics. Stoics were more focused on reason, what they could see, what they could touch, what they could feel. All right, so you had one group of people that were just like, YOLO, man, you only live once, do it all, right? And you have a whole other group of people that are like, no, 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 reason and science and study, and if I can't feel it and touch it and explain it, I won't believe it. Sounds like us, right? So this, this is us. You can find this in our society as well. People who are like, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to make my, because God wants me to be, fill in the blank, Oh, you've heard it. That is our modern-day Epicureans. Ultimately, God wants me to be happy. And if being in this situation and doing this and being stuck in this and this cultural paradigm and you forcing your stuff on me, that doesn't make me happy and God would never want me unhappy. And so I'm going to go do this, modern-day Epicurean. Then you have our Stoics. I will not believe in Christianity. I will not follow this thing because I can't see it, touch it, feel it, taste it. I can't do all of these things to it. I can't know for a fact. I can't control it, so I won't give myself to it. Yeah? Epicureans and Stoics. And in this, some of these thought he was a crazy person, a babbler. Others thought that he was preaching some kind of weird foreign deity. Verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. Some of your translations may call that Mars Hill. That's just the translation for it. Same place. Saying, 
may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. So this Areopagus, Mars Hill, this is where they would go to just talk and debate and yell at each other and philosophize and, and, and lecture one another. Right? This was this, this place they would go where everyone would just share their thoughts and people would get to pick it apart and jump into a debate. That's Mars Hill, the Areopagus. Verse 22. So, Paul... Standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Alright, so stop for a second. So in verse 22, Paul says, I perceive that you are very religious. This is interesting. That word religious has a double meaning. Right? Positively, it can mean you're super spiritual. Negatively, it can mean you're stupid and superstitious. Right? And so, which one is he meaning? Probably both, right? He's probably like, you guys are super religious. It's like, thank you. It's like, yeah, that was a compliment, sure. And the reason that he's probably meaning the other is what he says next in verse 23. He goes walking around this Areopagus, walking around Athens. They have all of these gods and all of these goddesses and all of these temples. And then he finds one that's super interesting. One that's set up to the unknown god. They have thousands of gods to worship. And they're like, what if a god shows up and he's like, hey, where's my idol? What do we do? Got it. Let's make one to the unknown God. And if that God shows up, we're like, oh no, here you are. We just didn't know your name. So this is what they have set up. Verse 24, but the Apostle Paul uses this as a springboard to now preach the gospel. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So Paul points out something obvious here. If you have to feed and take care of your God, it's a pretty lousy God. Can we agree on that? Right? If you have to polish your God and feed your God and make sure your God isn't hungry, you need a different God. Right? And so... The point is, you don't feed and take care of your God. You don't make your God and take care of your God. God of the universe has made you and takes care of you. So he's pointing them to the true God. Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Verse 27. That they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So I love verse 26. Verse 26 says, God has set up when and where every person would live. Here's what that means. You ready? You don't live here because Uncle Sam told you you had to. You don't live here because it's just where your family grew up. You don't live here because XYZ Company sent you here. You live here because God sovereignly deemed it so. 
Now, he used those other means and methods to get you here, but what verse 26 is telling you is, ultimately, God is in charge of every place of your life. Everywhere you live, when you live there, when you live, how long you live, all these things. God is ultimately in charge of all that, and he's in charge of all that for one reason. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. What this means is everything in your life, everywhere you live, every place you go, everywhere you work, everything in your life has been set up for one reason, to help you find God. Everything. The job you're in, the marriage you're in, the kids you have, the neighborhood you live in, where you live, when you live, the family you grew up in, every single thing in your life has one reason and one reason only to empower you by God's grace to find God the question is are you allowing it to do that or are you just griping and complaining and trying to get out from under what God has put you in in order to help you find him because you think you got a better way God says no 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 I put you there for a reason because I know that situation is going to be the best place for you to find me if you'll just open your eyes. God puts you. You ever heard the lie? God will never put more on you than you can handle. That's not true. Like that's a lie. It's, it's blatantly unbiblical. God would never, ever, ever give you more than you can handle. That's not true. And I know we say it, and I know we don't think about it. I know what we're trying to say when we say that. But I want to encourage you to kind of rip that one out of your vocabulary. Here's why. If God never gives you more than you can handle, who's the hero of the story? You are. Wow, look how strong you are. You must be able to handle a lot. Nope. Actually, the opposite is true. God intentionally, listen to this, intentionally puts you in places that you can't handle so that you'll turn to him. He's in charge of where and when and how you live. And he did that for a reason, so that you would be in a situation you can't handle so that you would now, what, verse 27, feel your way toward him. This is what God is seeking to do. Verse 28. In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that divine being is like gold or silver or stone or any image formed by the art and imagination of man. I love verse 28. The Apostle Paul actually quotes their own Greek poets and philosophers. Right? He doesn't quote the Old Testament. You'll see many times that he quotes the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul is constantly dropping Old Testament references all throughout the Bible. He doesn't do that here. He doesn't quote the Old Testament. He quotes their own prophets and teachers and poets. Why? Two reasons. One, he knows they don't believe the Bible, so quoting the Bible isn't going to help them. And number two, he knows if he uses a reference that they're going to connect with, they may be able to follow along a little bit more. This is why people ask me, why do I preach the way that I do? Why do you drop pop culture references and not really use the form that a lot of Baptists, I don't 
three points in a poem. I don't really do that kind of thing. Honestly, because I think I'm just following the pattern of Paul's. I want this to connect so that you see God is speaking to you. So then he keeps on going. Verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul points everybody to Jesus, right? He says, look, God was patient with you in your superstitions, in your personal ideas about what it's going to mean to reach the divine. He was very patient with all of that, but the time has come now where Jesus is presented to you. It's time to accept him and believe by faith in him and let go of these silly other ideas you think are going to somehow get you to connect with God. Get rid of that because the time has come for you to trust in Jesus. And then it ends in verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So, as Paul was preaching this, some people mocked him, some people were kind of interested and said, hey, we're going to come back and hear more, and others were 100% bought in and said, yes, Jesus is God, and I'm just going to follow him. And we'll circle back around in a minute and pick that back up again. So, the Apostle Paul goes into Athens, sees all these idols, and immediately stirs him up, and he starts saying, nope, 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 nope. we got to do something about this. All of these idols you have, let me tell you who the real God is so you can reject these idols and worship Jesus Christ. So the question that you're probably going to be asking is, what in the world does that have to do with us, right? What does that have to do with you and I? A bunch of ancient people wearing togas believing in ridiculous gods and goddesses. And the Apostle Paul going, you know what, all of that's dumb. you got to trust in Jesus what does it have to do with us? I'm so glad that you asked. Everything. It has everything to do with us. Because what I want to show you in the next couple of minutes is we're not that different from them. Our gods and goddesses might not look like that. We may not have actual statues set up in our homes that we present offerings to. But we are overrun with idolatry all the same. John Calvin, the great reformer, says that the human heart is an idol-making factory. Left to ourselves... Apart from the grace of God, we will constantly be creating new and better idols for us to worship. So what do we do about idolatry in our own heart? So I'm going to tackle two issues, facing idolatry in our own lives, and then we'll chat for a minute about idolatry in our city. All right? So first... Facing the idols in our own lives. How do we do this? So first question that I want you to kind of ask yourself is, where do I seek fulfillment? Where are you seeking to be fulfilled? 
Where are you seeking to be satisfied? Where are you seeking to be nourished? Where are you getting, where are you trying to get love? Where are you trying to get acceptance? Where are you trying to get worth? Where are you trying to get security? I'm going ahead and just kind of put all my cards on the table. What I believe is this. The default mode for every human being on earth, the default mode of every human on earth is to try to find love and acceptance and worth and security from someone and something other than Jesus. That's the point. We have to today see that is happening, reject that, pull down those idols, and trust by faith in Jesus to do in us what only Jesus can do. That's exactly what Paul is telling the people in Athens and exactly what God's word is desiring to tell us today as well. So let's think of it just a second about these false ancient gods. The people in Athens did not worship these gods and goddesses because they thought that they were supreme gods of the universe that were just by themselves worthy of worship, right? That's the biblical idea of worshiping God. He is supreme and holy and above all, and we worship him Honestly, because he's just the only one worthy of it. That's not why they did this. The reason they worshiped, the reason they sacrificed, the reason they built temples, the reason they had these altars was not because they thought that these gods and goddesses were just worthy of their worship. It was because they wanted to get something from them. They had a need, a desire, a longing, an emptiness in their lives, in their hearts, in their families. And they went to these gods and goddesses, sacrificing to them, trying to get something from them. Are we tracking? So I'll give you a few examples. If they were fishermen and they wanted a good catch, they would offer a sacrifice to the god Poseidon. If they were farmers and they wanted a good return on their harvest, they would offer a sacrifice to the goddess Demeter. If they were hunters and they wanted a good catch for their hunting, they would offer a sacrifice to the goddess goddess Artemis. If they wanted luck and fortune in life, they would offer a sacrifice to the god Hermes. If they wanted wisdom and knowledge and what to do in a situation, they'd offer a sacrifice to the goddess Athena. If they wanted love, romance, sex, marriage, they'd offer a sacrifice to the goddess Aphrodite. These gods and goddesses were just tools used to accomplish what they wanted in their life. What they felt they were missing, they used these gods and goddesses to try to fill that void. Make sense? And we aren't any different. We are going to places and people and things trying to get from them something to satisfy the void in our lives. We're trying to get love and acceptance and worth and security from somewhere. And so we're just grabbing straws just like they offered a thousand sacrifices to a thousand gods hoping it would satisfy their greatest need. We do the same thing. We are not that different. I want to read for you Jeremiah 2.13. I've got it up on the board here. I think it's a great verse to set to memory. Jeremiah 2.13. So God is speaking here and he's speaking to his people Israel. So listen to what he says to them. 
for my people, right? He's not talking about lost people. He's not talking about Gentiles. He's not talking about those outside the covenant. His people, Christians, for my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And second, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What God says is his people have committed two sins. Sin number one, they've stopped going to him as the source of all living water for their life. And sin number two, they've started digging wells and grabbing pots trying to pull water out. Wells that leak and pots that are busted, you're never going to get clean water. It's never going to satisfy you. It's never going to accomplish what you hope to accomplish. So you got to dig another dirty well and grab another broken pot because that one didn't work. And the cycle just keeps going. And God is saying, you have neglected the only source of life that you have. I'm it. Nothing else fulfills you. Nothing else satisfies you. You can't get another job or get another marriage or have another kid or have another friend. You can't get success enough. Another degree isn't going to do it. Another dollar isn't going to do it. It isn't going to satisfy you. You're just digging another dirty well and grabbing another broken pot. It's just stupid, superstitious idolatry. Maybe this one will work. And maybe this one will work. And maybe this one will work. And what God is trying to show you is it all falls flat. Every one of them. And we try a thousand different things to do this. Relationships and sex and money and school and jobs and athletics. And God help us, church. We try to show up someplace and see if we can get satisfied. And if we don't, we just leave and go somewhere else. Because that place didn't feed me enough. And my question is, maybe your pot's broken. Maybe you're using us as just another dirty well. Because you're not looking to Jesus to truly satisfy. And this happens everywhere. So I love, so the Apostle Paul again used their own poets and philosophers and thinkers to kind of speak to them. I'll do the same thing. I'll give you a modern day example that maybe you're familiar with. Simone Biles. If you've been following the Olympics, you're probably familiar with the story. I honestly don't care about your opinion on it. Wherever you land, whether you think she's a hero that took control of her own mental health, or you think she just quit. I honestly don't care. Regardless of where you stand, what we can all agree on is this. This is a classic example of trying to be satisfied by something other than Jesus and it drastically collapsing in on you. And that's not my words, that's hers. I'll quote her Instagram. July 29th. The outpouring of love and support I've received has made me realize... I am more than my accomplishments and gymnastics, which I never truly believed before. What you have is a young woman who has built her entire life on getting love, acceptance, worth, and security 
from a metal. And when that was too much of a weight to bear, we all had to watch it crash and burn. Let this be an example. Let this be a warning. You can't find it in anywhere or any place or any person other than Jesus. It doesn't exist. It's just another dirty well, and it's just another broken pot. And I would encourage you with this as well. So, what Paul did was, again, he looked at their idols, the idols that were prominent in that city, and said, this is a problem. Real quick, let me do that for us as well. All right, let me just, let me make you mad and then back up. All right. I've been a pastor for 20 years in two states. I've never been in a city where more people were on medication and had a counselor than Fayetteville, North Carolina. I think it's because of the army. And every vet and their family has access to that care. So everyone takes it. Which may be perfectly well and fine. But what we end up now is this. The number one prescription pill in our city is antidepressant. That's, uh, oddly enough, that's actually number one in the country. But it's number one for us as well. And everyone, everyone has a counselor. Now, let me say a couple of things. Number one, if medicine is not bad and evil and, and inherently wrong. I'm not saying that it is in any way, shape, or form. And if you have been prescribed medicine, take your medicine. Look at me. If you've been prescribed medicine, take your med Camera. If you've been prescribed medicine, take your medicine. And also, let me say this. If you think that pill is going to save you, you just have another broken pot. And if your counselor is just giving you good self-help techniques, they're just helping you find a different broken pot, fire them. If your counselor says anything to you other than you need to die to yourself and trust Jesus more, fire them. If they're trying to give you self-help techniques, they're trying to help your communication skills in your marriage, fire them. It's just another dirty well. It isn't going to ultimately help you. And I know that this can be extremely difficult to hear because you've been told that that's going to be the answer. I'm just trying to, I'd rather you get that bad news today than three years from now. It isn't going to. It isn't going to. Only Jesus can do this. Are you willing today to say, I die to myself and I rip down all of these false idols, whatever that is. And we talk, we do this over and over and over and over here, okay? I, I, I've, 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 I've had this rant, I've only been here two and a half years, and I've done this rant a dozen times already, okay? I know you think that next thing is going to be what satisfies you. It's not. I just need to get married. I 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 need a husband. I need a husband. I need a husband. You get a husband and you're like, I need a different husband. 
This one's broken. Okay, well, kids, if I just have kids, if I just have kids, if I just have kids, and then you get kids, you're like, why did I get the demon-possessed ones? Like, what just happened? Like, it didn't work. Right, and another job, and another this, and another that, well, another move, another deployment, another, if I just, when we go to the next place, then it's going to be different. We just need a fresh start. If we go to the next place, then it'll all be different. We're your next place from the last one, and it's not different. Today, are your eyes going to be open to say, I am not chasing after these idols anymore. They can't satisfy me. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And then real quick, I want to chat about this just for a second. What about the idols in our city? I just want to encourage you in this just for a point of prayer. We need to see our city the way God sees our city. See our city through God's eyes. Look at the way Jesus looked at the people that he ministered to in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them, and they were broken. He saw them, and he realized not that they were too much trouble and too much hassle and too much work, but he saw them through God's eyes, harassed and helpless, broken and mangled, people in need of a shepherd. And he looked at his people in verse 37, and he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. These people are broken. They need help, and I'm sending you to go do it. And that is his call on us as a church as well. We are to see our city the way God sees our city, to love our city the way God loves our city, to not look at our city and see all the problems and all the issues and all the strife and all the struggles and just write it off and, and build little ivory towers and section ourselves off. And if they want to be idiots and kill each other, that's their business. We're not going to deal with any of that. We're going to protect ourselves. That's not the way God sees and loves his city. He saw them. He was broken for them. And then he told his people, pray that you will be empowered and that God would raise other people up to go and do something about it. We live in a city full of idols. Like the Apostle Paul, that needs to stir us up. We do something about it. I'm going to ask our band to come up. And as they're doing that, I just want to circle back around and catch the last part of that scripture in Acts 17. So again, Paul preaches. And look at the response. Look very quickly at how the people responded, right? Verse 32 of Acts 17. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Some mocked him and thought the whole thing was stupid. Some had their curiosity piqued, like there was something about it. God was starting to stir in their hearts, but they had a lot of questions. So they said, hey, we're going to come back. And others said, I'm in. I agree. Amen. 
Jesus is the answer. I reject all of this stuff. I just trust him and follow him. And the same three people exist in this room right now. And what I want you to do is to seek the Lord and figure out where you are in that. Some in this room right now, you're mocking this whole thing. And that's okay. I don't take that personally at all. The Bible says that you're going to. That's okay. You look at this and you just go, this is crazy. This is nuts. These people need medication. (laughs) That's okay. Others, you're here because something's stirring in you and you have questions and you're trying to figure this thing out so you just keep coming back, just, just, just asking questions and thinking through things. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. We want you to keep doing that. Whatever questions you have, come talk to us. We want to help you. Whatever we can do, however we can help with that, whatever dots we can help to connect. And then there are others. Like Dionysius and Damaris. Who in hearing this respond by trusting in Christ and believing. And today I'm praying that that is some of us here in this room right now. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads for me. Have you been trying to satisfy your life with dirty wells and broken pots? Now, they may be good things. The Bible says that getting a wife is a blessing. Having kids are a gift. The Bible tells you to use your gifts and work hard. That's a great thing. That's not a, that's not a bad thing. The call to be a, a hard worker came before the fall in Genesis 3. Being involved in a church family is a great thing. We encourage everyone to do. But only you can search your heart and have an honest conversation with God and admit, what's my motivation for this? What am I trying to get from this? Do I believe that doing these things are somehow going to satisfy me? Like the people of Athens and their false gods and goddesses, are you making sacrifices in hopes of trying to get something from it? I tried Christianity. We tried church. We went to counseling. We did the stuff. I made the sacrifices to those idols is what you're saying. And I want you to see today that isn't going to work. The only one who will is Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for us today that you would open up our eyes to see where we are seeking after false gods and false things. We are sacrificing to try to get something from somewhere and not just trusting in you, Jesus. So I pray, God, all across this room that we would trust by faith in you, Jesus. We would trust by faith in you, Jesus. 
Jesus, you fulfilled me. You love me so I don't need to get love from anywhere else. You accept me so I don't have to get acceptance from anywhere else. You give me worth and value so I don't have to get it from anywhere else. You make me secure so I don't have to seek it from anywhere else. We are filled up just in you, Jesus. Do this in us today. I pray, God, for people in this room that need to come to faith in you for the first time, that they would say today, Jesus, I know that you died and you rose again. I pray, Jesus, that you would fill me and satisfy me. I give you my life. Take it. I pray today that happens all in this room for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
thank you that you are glorious. And I pray, God, in this room that we would see you as glorious and not other things that we try to sacrifice to. But God, you are the only one worthy and glorious and mighty and powerful and strong. I pray, God, that we would turn our hearts to you and see you do a work in us that only you can do. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.